0: It's typical telecom. They do do everything amazingly shit. So, I mean, no comment really. You know.
1: Comments accepted. Yeah. Hey guys, welcome to the Matt Brown Show. This podcast is powered by Digital Kung Fu. And I'm proud to bring you the stories of entrepreneurs hustling today's markets and building and creating great things in their own lives and in the world of business. Hey guys, so one of the great mysteries of entrepreneurship in my view is why businesses fail. You see, some people seem to start one successful business after another, while others start a business and fail. But for me, the worst part about a failing business is that the entrepreneur, more often than not, is unaware of the fact that it's happening until it's too late. You know, it makes sense at the end of the day, because if the entrepreneur really knew what he or she was doing wrong, they might have been able to save the business. And so you get two types of entrepreneurs. You get the first kind, which lives in a land of denial, and then you get the other camp, which sits firmly in the space of being completely unaware of their mistakes. In this episode, I chat to Prudence Spratt. She's the CEO of Spratt Consulting. And she specializes in helping businesses grow. In this episode, we jump around quite a bit, but we're trying to address a number of key drivers in value creation when it comes to business growth, from sales to marketing to storytelling and to media. So without further ado, enter Prudence Spratt. Hey guys, welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. I have the great privilege of having Prudence Spratt. That's uh, no relation to Justin Spratt.
0: He's my brother. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. He's it's your brother. Then. related.
0: Yeah. Is it really?
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you're gonna have brother. to get him onto the show because I've been trying. Oh. Yeah, and I think he's too busy reinventing Uber.
0: Yeah, and he's too busy with everything. He's got a four-year-old and a six-month-old as well.
1: Okay, cool. So our burning platform today is going to be about why businesses work. And I think you're uniquely positioned to comment on this for a number of reasons. Um, one is that you've s- successfully built your own business. Um, you've been running your consultancy now for three and a half years. Mm. You consult to startups. You're a member of the kind of Gibbs judiciary, I suppose, that makes decisions on what startups to invest in and what. Entrepreneurs or jockeys to invest in I great mm. I guess <laughs> so um, so having said that well let 's start with your backstory what 's that headline backstory that you want to share for
0: our listeners sure i haven 't thought about my backstory in a while um, so my entrepreneurship story is not really that romantic. I just kind of had quite a quite a extensive corporate career, a very rewarding corporate career, and then um, it was actually through the process of doing my MBA through Gibbs that I realized that I wanted to start my own business, um, funnily enough. And I say funnily enough because I was doing the executive MBA, which teaches you how to be an executive of a, of a very large corporate. And I realized that I wanted to do the exact opposite. Um, so, yeah, so then. But I come from a very entrepreneurial family. Um, my grandmother had 13 children. What? Yeah, and um, all of them are entrepreneurs. So, none Every of them, single one of them? Yeah, none of them work for anyone else. All of them have their own businesses. Um, so it was kind of the norm growing up to kind of do your own thing. Um, but yeah, so after finishing my MBA, I kind of wanted to change the world in some small way. So I started my own business. And I did it within the digital consulting space because I saw that there was a massive gap in the market between, you know, what businesses needed, lots of businesses, and the digital consulting that was really not affordable um, at the time. You know, the likes of the big consulting firms at three and a half thousand rand an hour are not that accessible to every company. So... um, Um, I definitely saw a gap there. And, you know, so we could come in a lot cheaper, turn projects around a lot quicker and provide the same level of service, Um, if not better, because, you know, because technology moves so quickly that I'd worked with a lot of consulting houses in my corporate career that by the time the project went live, it was 18 months later and the technology was already old. So, you know, at least now we can get projects live really quickly.
1: Okay, cool. So, I mean, what have you observed? And obviously you're consulting with corporates, you're consulting with startups, you've got this kind of really unique perspective on both sides of the coin. And when you look at the business ecosystem, is there anything that jumps for you around what are the kind of key drivers of a business's success or an entrepreneur's success?
0: Yeah, see, well, yeah. Okay, so the ones that fail don't hustle. So they, you know, so sales is everything, Um, you know, so you can have the best training in the world. You can have the best product. um, But at the end of the day, the product doesn't march itself out the door and go sell itself. So if you're not out there hustling and if you don't keep your pipeline full at all times, then, yeah, you've got a very good chance of failure. Um, So, yeah, so so there's, you know, business strategy is important. Um, Marketing is important, making sure your team's important and having that very cool, funky office with the bean bags and the artificial grass and all of that's important. Is but, that the
1: creative council's building?
0: <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, it's probably like every digital agency ever. Um, but, yeah, so that's all cool. But at the end of the day, it's sales. Um, and if you don't have good people in your business that can sell – all that know how to sell and know how to close. More importantly, then it's not going to work. Yeah. So, so selling is number one for me. There's a few other key things. So cash flow management. So cash flow's is king. So once you get the sales in, you get the cash in. You need to know how to manage cash in your business. Um. Yeah, but sales is it. So you've ABC. Always be closing.
1: Can I talk to you about that? Because sure. I don't regard myself as a great closer. Are you, are you a great closer? Would you regard yourself as a kind of like you can sell, you know, snow to Eskimos and close them So in one sitting?
0: It's weird. My whole career, I was never in sales. I was always in operations. So I was always building something. And then um, I was a product manager. So I was always the product owner. And... So when I'm selling now, I don't feel like I'm selling. Um, I feel like I'm solving a client's problem. So every client that I go to normally has a requirement, which is a problem case. So we just, you know, so I sit there and I help them describe their problem. And then I take that further and I tell them how we're going to solve it for them. And then I document that and put a price to it. Um, Yeah, and then the project manager and me, because that was my formal training straight out of Varsity... Was, you know, I won't start anything without signed documentation and an upfront deposit. So those are kind of the triggers into my process. Um, so then, yeah, from a project management perspective, not even from a sales perspective, like I won't kick off a requirements gathering session without those two key inputs. Um, so then, you know, Up with the ball back in the client's court saying, just let me know when you want to kick off and this is what I need to kick off kind of thing. So, yeah, closing. That's how I close. Okay. So really it's up to the client whether or not they want to go ahead.
1: I find that such a frustrating process though for me because I follow something that's quite similar, which is like, listen, here's your... Proposal. and says, "You need this is your problem. Here's the deliverables that we want to basically, you know, deliver for you. Here's the fee, and some payment terms are around fifty percent upfront, mm. fifty percent completion. Maybe there's an hour versus rates breakdown in there, and depending on what the nature of the project is." But I find that, just in my experience, maybe you just way better at it than me. But when I send, I send probably out of ten proposals, one closes, and regardless, of like, that's very low. It is very low, um, and maybe it's because I'm selling something the market doesn't want, which is effectively business change related digital products and services um, which is slightly different to kind of working within a business and fixing something that's not around unlocking new markets so potentially that could be a reason why Um, but I mean do you have a kind of a steps one, two, three around following up that uh, other entrepreneurs could kind of learn from
0: Um, or is it
1: kind of like a phone call then a lunch and then two coffees and
0: (laughs) yeah so following up is important but also giving them space is also important So with the larger corporates There is a process that needs to be followed To kind of get a PO raise Get budget allocated Before a supplier can be signed off So you need to just for my corporate training I know how long that takes I don't know if it's easier for me Because with the consulting And also we do a lot of uh, Development as well Which then is, We just kind of go and implement what we've consulted on um, But with consulting, we are always solving a problem, and generally, it's a burning problem. So there's a sense of urgency. So, for, yeah. So, following up after sending a proposal, you don't want to get irritating. You don't want to become psycho stalker, phoning the client every day. I've actually had an account manager from a provider, another provider, on a project that I'm currently working on, phone me twice a day, every day, and I phoned his superior and asked him to take him off my account. Because he was that irritating. So I follow up two or three times via email only. Um, if a client wants your services, they're going to procure them. I, I, I'm not going to ram my services down anyone's throat.
1: But isn't not that about
0: an 80% close close rate.
1: Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, isn't closing, isn't that the art of closing? Is getting people to push the sale to close the sale in a far more proactive way than a kind of like, well, hey, Mr. Client, here's the proposal, because that's kind of where I'm like way on the other side, okay. <laughs> you know, I do find following up helps because the first email, the first proposal, the first contact mm. it generally is ignored. But if you get on the blower to them after that, then there's kind of more of an urgency around uh, the engagement, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So the second email after the f- so first email, you send the proposal. Um, second email, then of follow up, which is actually your first follow up mail. Um, I kind of ask them if they do want to go ahead, and they normally always do. And then I say, okay, that's cool. Then let me know, um, you know, give me a date as to when you kind of want to kick off. Like, is it next month, is it three months' time, or is it next week? Because we need a certain amount of lead time to plan our resources. So we can't – we're not available at the drop of a hat. We actually need to plan. So I can't commit resources to a project very quickly um, because that's not the nature of our business. So – Well, I can, I just don't really, Um, because I like, you know, I think people must respect everyone's time and allow me to plan my resources properly. So in my second follow-up mail, I ask them to indicate their interest and then also give me an indicative date of kickoff. Um, And then, you know, for my resource planning to plan my resources not really for their business or anything but just for my side and then they normally you know say oh towards the end of the month or early next month kind of thing um or no we want to kick off as soon as possible so then i say that's absolutely fine i'll start allocating resources get me the sign doc as soon as possible
1: um i find that response we're not ready to move on this we'll come back to us in like i don't know two three months is the kind of Of all the 10 rejections you might get, that's probably the one that's go-to. It's almost like there's a little breakout session for decision makers on Saturdays and they come up with ways to (laughs) to kind of not buy what you're selling, I suppose, would be one way to describe it. But either to your point, I just want to pick up on the thing you mentioned earlier around um, the pain. Mm. How do you identify how ready this client is. It's because I think there's a difference between prospecting versus suspecting. And a lot of the times, and I'm guilty of this as well, is I suspect a lot. Because I'm I'm thinking about all the different opportunities across like 19 different industries, not just one. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think there is a fundamental difference between the two. But if you're going to be prospecting, which isn't kind of a spray and pray, you need to be able to identify like a key pain point, but also not just that that pain point exists. Like how severe is this thing in order for this client to move quickly on this thing? It's like you want to be, you know what I mean? It's almost like the the house is burning and you're the you know, in other words, Rich Valhalla always uses the term around, uh, you know, if you can convince them that they have an itch, then you're the only scratch.
0: Yeah, So, but that's the nature of selling a service and not a product. Um, so in a services-based industry, then you're going to sell – so people are only going to procure your services when they really need them. If they don't need them, they're not going to take them, especially when, you know, people have – budgets uh, to, to, to stick to and that kind of thing. So especially when you're looking at the corporates, you've got to understand what's driving their purchasing behavior and that is KPIs that they need to meet. So if you are, you know, especially in the digital space you, and you're speaking to the digital teams in corporates, you've got to understand what the KPIs they need to meet at the end of the year. And then that is their pain. So, um, you know, you know, and then you help them alleviate that pain.
1: What are some of the more common key performance indicators uh, that you encounter? Is it always market share, brand, love, all that usual malarkey?
0: um, No, so uh, KPIs, well, it really depends how uh, mature the corporate is, but KPIs should be more specific than that by now um, and should be tied to a more specific deliverable. But um, yeah, so KPIs are more, They should be tied as well to the overall business strategy. So if the business is looking to, say, expand into sub-Saharan Africa and it wants to um, expand its market share into that, then the digital team should have digital KPIs to, you know, so they should be measured on... um, You know, click-through rates in from Sub-Saharan African countries. They should be building digital properties for those countries. They should all of those digital properties should be aligning to um, in-country legislation. Um, Yeah, there should be a different digital strategy per country. Yeah, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff to it.
1: Mm. I guess my experience, I find that they fall into two buckets, which is brand power and sales power. So, so either- you're talking
0: to the marketing guys. Eh?
1: Yeah, basically, yeah. mainly. Well, not necessarily, not anymore. I'm saying in my previous seven years within agencies dealing with big brands, it yeah. usually falls into those two things. But now I guess one reason why I'm asking is more for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, because, but even at a business strategy level, it's like you want to increase your market share. You want to increase your turnover, your top line turnover or whatever. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, so is the, is the lesson here for entrepreneurs that if you're going to identify a pain point, focus on potentially increasing sales or improving efficiencies or reducing risk or something that's related to the business?
0: To be honest, every goal in business always comes down to money. Okay. So every goal, every KPI is going to hit the bottom line of the income statement. So as long as you can show a return on the investment, which is greater than the amount of money that they're spending with you, then they're probably going to do business with you. And you're making them look good in the process. So, yeah, it's got. It's always money driven, but you can't really get up with a PowerPoint presentation and say, "Cool, so we're going to help you make lots of money. Um, just give us your money, and then we'll help you make lots of money." You know, you got to kind of make it sound better than that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um- but it is to your point around shareholders. A lot of the, my clients are all. Yeah, JSC it's you and listed. your
0: shareholder dividend payouts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's funny that if you also do, I think there's there's the business KPIs, but also there's the personal ones as well. So um, I found it, uh, not founded, I've, <laughs> I found that um, a lot of clients that if you're just onboarding onto an account, if you pull out your sort of key stakeholder and you say, listen, you know, Jolene, um, mm. what, uh, what, uh, maybe not Jolene, let's talk about another one, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, um, you know, Sandra, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, what are you trying to achieve personally in the next year? Do you know what I mean? It might be a promotion. It might be, I don't know, whatever, a transfer for instance, yeah. but I, I find that there's almost, you're kind of you unlock a kind of additional equity that's not just about business. Because a lot of people can do business, a lot of people can do strategy, Mm. marketing also, a lot of people can do that kind Mm. of stuff. But not many people can make a client look good.
0: Yeah. And if you make the client look good, you will guarantee your contract being renewed. Mm. So making your client look good, while you don't need to take the kudos, you just work in the background and um, stay quiet will get your contract renewed. Okay. So yeah, so understanding what they yeah so that's that's kind of why I said you know understanding what their pain points are because their pain points talk to what they need to deliver to their line manager that year and you help them achieve that and yeah then the company KPIs are generally always revenue based mm. and then they have those soft ones which are like CSI BE and all of that.
1: i got a sales call from Meltwater. Uh, yesterday yeah uh, Ames Brown uh, do you need some um, what is this orM I'm like no dude, we're not involved in marketing or branding or whatever so no he goes okay well, what about influences or influencing a market media release I was like now that I'm interested in mm. so so anyway so within literally it was like one of the best I'm, I'm probably gonna tap him up to come work for me when I have my product and market but I mean the guy was brilliant eh? from a sales perspective he was mm-hmm. like so maybe I could meet you with you he said do you have time now or you know when, when are you available to have a chat First, he was like, when are you going when you're available to have a chat? And I was like, well, looking at my diary, he goes, what about right now? I can send you a link and you can see my screen. So like, okay, well, how hard could that be? So the next thing you know, I'm going through this whole, uh, product demo. And then he was like, I said, okay, cool, dude. And it really was pretty compelling. And, uh, so, so I said to him, <clears throat> cool, man, how much he gave me the number. I was like, damn, okay. That's probably a little bit out of my, my range right now, considering I'm not doing media releases every week. Mm-hmm. And then to your point around uh, reducing or negotiating the fee, what he did was very clever. He didn't negotiate the fee, but what he did say was, well, what I can do, uh, Matt, is I can talk to my line manager and what we can do is we can push back the first billing by a month. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So he yeah. was almost taking the risk out of it because the only reason why I didn't actually buy it was because I don't have, at the moment, lots and lots of media releases to put out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it doesn't warrant the, the, the money that they wanted. But what he was doing was just continually removing the risk out of the discussion. So it was almost like I almost wanted to give him the money because he was just doing his job so well. Yeah,
0: I've had one of those as well. And that was a cold call, huh?
1: Cold call straight job.
0: Yeah, I have to take my hat off to guys that can keep me on a cold call for longer than 30 seconds. Yeah. I've had one before. It was really, really good. And then I had one from the UK. It was also really good. Other than that, they normally get cut dead within the first ten seconds.
1: I got the best sales call ever from Telcom the other day. Do you want to hear it? Okay, yeah, it's Telcom man. Yeah?
0: I don't know. Do I want to hear it? No, you do. You okay. do.
1: This is hilarious. So basically, Telcom goes, "Hey, Mister Brown, how are you?" I'm like, "No, I'm fine, thanks." He goes, "Hey, listen. So we've been monitoring your line, your line, your internet line speed at your home, and we've noticed that your, um, you know, you haven't quite been getting the, you know." The, the speed that you've been paying for I was like yes I've noticed that he goes okay so what we've done the good news is what we've done is we've, we've spent a lot of money building a whole new um, set of infrastructure and pipes that is going to finally give you the connection speeds that oh, you want so, oh. so I said so I said great okay and he goes it's only 86 rand extra a month I've got fiber oh. and I was like hang on wait is this a sales call He goes, yes, it's only 86,000, 86 rand extra month or whatever the number was. I was like, so hang on. So you want me to pay you for a service that I haven't been getting on the basis of the, of the fact that now you've actually invested money into new infrastructure. He goes, yes. I said, well, then you're a plunker, and maybe you should go talk to your, your, your sales manager yeah. to go and update your script. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. like, there's just such people generally, and especially big corporates. And eventually I said, so just to finish the story. And I said, so am I now going to get the speed that I've been paying for? He goes, click, hangs up. Do you know what I mean that how terrible is the sales process is that Stay with us we'll be right back
0: yeah so that's just representative of of the the company that he works for yeah that's typical telecom boo they did they do everything amazingly shit so i mean no comment really you know
1: comments accepted yeah (laughs) the rest of the show is coming up shortly But now, a quick word from two of our sponsors that make this show possible. So on the 14th of June, I'm attending the release of a research and discussion paper called Unicorns, Gazelles and Leapfrogs. It takes a look at the South African startup ecosystem and proposes some options catapulting it forward. Developed over six months by Jason Levine and his company Elevation, it covers off the findings from 30 executive interviews conducted between last year, December, and this year, May. It'll be available as a downloadable PDF free of charge on request though. uh, But you can do that from elevation-holdings.co.za after the 14th of June. Mr. Levine, that's Jason. (laughs) He wants to be a catalyst for conversation in the ecosystem, and will be coordinating some events along with partners like Gibbs and Simadisa to shake it up a little bit. Um, I will be at the launch event doing a live podcast. So if you guys are interested, I cannot recommend checking out the data in this report. Um, It's uh, it's really really compelling. Serious Business is a development company that focuses on building some really amazing web and digital and app products they are really focused on reducing the time that it takes for entrepreneurs to get into market with a digital product they built some cool stuff for me so i cannot recommend them enough if you go to their website it's srsbsns.co.za and why don't you take up their challenge of building any website within 14 days that sounds pretty cool to me. So jump on board and check out their website, srsbsns.co.za. <laughs> on that project pro- closure rate thing, it's not to say that they say no, it just means that they take so bloody long because it's B2B sales. Do you know what I mean? So it's just so frustrating because I'm the world's most impatient guy in many instances. You know, yeah. and that's why. But
0: for me, if they say they're not ready, that for me is a no. Yeah. So I'll, I'll bin it. And then I'll move on.org, you know? But then then, why did
1: they engage with you? I don't like, do you know what I mean? Like, what are your thoughts around? Like, what's the client's mindset around rejecting proposals slash?
0: Well, it's really, it depends how you got in the room. So like, if you asked for the interview, the meeting, then they're actually just being polite, giving you time. Um, If they've asked you to come to them and give them a proposal and then they're like, oh no, we're actually not ready. Then they're wasting your time. And that's rude.
1: Lots of those, I call them PTWs, professional time wasters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With and PhDs. Also, yeah. Sometimes, like, they already know who they want to go with. They just need three comparative quotes. Mm. That's really irritating.
1: Yeah. This is why consulting is a tough game, isn't it?
0: It is. Yeah. So you get, you learn. So just, you know, you learn very quickly how to sift that out. Um, so. Yeah, so if people ask you for a quote, sometimes if I know it's just a comparative quote, I'll give them a one-liner quote in an email.
1: Yeah, here you go. Yeah.
0: Let me know if that's within your budget. If it is, then I'll give you a formal proposal.
1: Do you go font 64 bold red? (laughs) No. Green?
0: No. (laughs) No, just give them like like a ballpark figure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can I talk to you about personal brands? Um, sure. So, How important do you think an entrepreneur's personal brand is? So I know what my view is on that because I've just rebranded the whole show to the Matt Brown show. So so that's kind of like a leading question. But in your experience, Prudence Spratt, the personal brand, has that helped you?
0: Um, yeah, I think it did in the beginning. Um, so when no one knew who or what Spratt Digital Consulting was, um, yeah, they knew who Prue was, and then that helped. Um, so they knew, you know, where I'd come from and what I'd done before. And based on that, they would kind of give me a small piece of work. And then if I delivered well on that, then they'd give me a bigger piece of work. And then that kind of turned into retainers and, you know, bigger contracts and kind of grew from there. Um, yeah, so I think your personal brand has to be good, or credible um, and clean, <laughs> you know, so no sex tapes out there on Google. That's not cool. Um, but I'm still not completely sold that it needs to be, like, they need to be intrinsically linked. Um, and the reason why I say that is because... And it, and it really depends on your business strategy. If you're building your business to sell, they mustn't be intrinsically linked. Because then it becomes very difficult for a sale one day to uncouple the two brands. Okay? So, and and that's kind of, and that was just my training because I did my global elective uh, on the West Coast. So, in Silicon Valley. And there they teach startups to build to sell. So, um, although you know who the startup, the entrepreneur is behind the startup, they never link brands because they're always building to sell. Um, yeah. So I think, I think it's important to know who the entrepreneur is and have a clean brand, but to intrinsically link them and put them both in bed with each other is dangerous unless you plan never to sell and to grow altogether.
1: Yeah. That was my, that was my main reservation too late now though.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at least now you guys I've can I've just got into together. the shit bucket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. If you sell, your earn-out period would be very long. <laughs> Damn you. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's interesting, though. I mean, I suppose this is why I do the podcast, because there's different views and all this kind of thing. Mm. Um, but I will say that though, since, the, the, since I have rebranded, the okay. engagement has gone... The talkability, the engagement on like we're getting, you know, between 100 and 200 shares on Facebook.
0: You see, per that's episode. cool. But how are you like, the, so like? How does that convert into money? It's so like for your clients, to, like for us in social talkability, um, you know, uh, your community engagement, likability, or sharing, blah blah blah. It's fantastic. But how does that convert into ransom scenes?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I, look, I don't have a, I don't think there's a simple answer to that one. But I would say is that even if people, I'm more interested in the people that I'm not. In, to be, to be used, honest,
0: I can give you some ideas. Okay, man.
1: good, you must. But <laughs> but for me, it's like I'm not. I'm less interested in the people that shared than i am in the people that saw that share do you know what i mean because and i'll give you an example like in the real world so i get uh, people i haven't seen for or spoken to for like six months to a year they will for some reason come we'll meet in a bar or we'll meet online somewhere i don't know not in like a weird tinder chat room thing mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> but for some reason we have we start communicating and and i get this every week and they're like dude like you know when's your book coming or like you know there's always good remarks because media is such an important thing Mm. in any business so it doesn't necessarily it's who was talking about awareness earlier uh yeah i was talking to a client about brand salience and she's like is that so it's notoriety for me right and she goes is that the same as as awareness and i was like kind of but this is as a brand that's what the power of media has to do so while it's like okay 150 shares so what but there's no media but if you take 250 people who potentially saw that share and that's being conservative now then you're looking at a pool of people that runs up into the thousands so for me if i ever happen to get into a boardroom one day and there's a prospect there and they go oh hang on are you matt brown from the matt brown show i'll be like yes And they "Oh yeah i've been listening to your episode i mean i was at this um, fast track event Startup start a boot camp in joburg the other day and there was this guy kevin from an investment fund and he was like dude are you matt and i'm like yeah and he goes it's so weird actually meeting you because i've listened to every single one of your episodes so do you know what i mean and it's it's and this is the power of personal brands right a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe not but um but he was basically it's brands speak for you in rooms that you're not in and that's always a good thing
0: yeah That's, yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. But it's much harder harder to sell that to a client.
1: But do you not think that...
0: It's like impressions versus clicks. Yeah, true. It's really hard to sell that impressions mean something. Um, Like, so for a click and a click-through and then optimizing that click-through path to adding to cart and checking out is, that's way easier for me to quantify, show return on investment. You know, we've done our job, fantastic. Um, But trying to show the client that, hey, you got this many impressions, they're like, okay, that means nothing in their life. They want rants and saints. Mm. So, yeah.
1: Do you not think it's different as an entrepreneur, though? Because for me, people buy... You first And then your products And second Your products and services Second So so, if, And for me They have to know you And like you And trust you If you don't I have Those they, three I think things I yes With
0: a service Not with a product mm. If you're A product based business They're going to look At the product
1: Sure absolutely Well yeah. it's a different Discussion Yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah, if we're selling services, the well initially when you're building a business, initially the credibility of the business comes from the entrepreneur, and then you know after a few years the business then has its own credibility because you know I've got staff members who have added to the credibility of the business, and they in their own rights are getting contracts renewed by clients, and you know outright the client has told me no, Prue, we don't want you working on our account. We want so and so actually her name's Amber that we want Amber. We don't want you prudence. I was like, okay, cool. I'll try and not take that personally. Um, but you, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, yeah. So it's, so now the business has its own credibility and that's what you kind of want to build because that is an intangible asset of the business that one day, if you're building to sell, gets a value on evaluation when you value a business. So when you're selling, that's an intangible asset brand value that you're going to sell. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I uh, just, one last point in this one. So I, I did a, I think before I mentioned Brent was on the show uh, last week and Tolman. Do you uh, know him? Brent no. Tolman? Anyway, from me. Anyway, so, so we published the podcast and just got lots of traction and so on. And he got pinged up by a guy in Germany Yeah, the same day. He was like, listen, um, I heard your podcast on like the Matt Brown show. Can you help me with sales and well, content marketing in that case? So, so that for me is like a direct correlation between, yeah like a brand platform, I suppose, if there's, you know, to, but I mean, how bizarre. And it's, I don't know, it just didn't land the point around media as an entrepreneur. Like this show now is truly global. I think I did, I pulled my, my stats Mm -hmm. and outside of central Africa, which probably doesn't have internet. (laughs) (laughs) um, And I think Iran was the other one or somewhere in the middle East, but every single country on earth, someone has listened to the show.
0: That's very rad.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So so I don't make any money of it yet, but in time the brand will will become a platform that will become a commercializable opportunity
0: yeah so is that your long- term strategy?
1: Well, I only literally had this brain fight last night okay so yeah, I need lots of feedback from guys to kind of like because basically I'm building a media company now, which is not a consulting company
0: well you're building a yeah you know, you're building. Well, at the moment, you've got a content database. Yeah. And and that's the asset, mm. you know, and, and it's content that people want to listen to, yeah. which is really valuable.
1: How do you monetize? You become my consultant now. Let's turn the, turn, <laughs> turn the tables around. <laughs> well, how, what am you, I going to do? Like, how do, how am I going to commercialize the Matt Brown show? Well,
0: you, Yeah, so... I'm putting
1: you on the spot. I apologize. N-
0: well, no. It's so like, yeah, so... Again, it talks to you know it's very much your own brand then it intrinsically links you as an individual to to the brand um but first of all, I was very surprised that your online property you know if you go to your podcasts online that you're not just dis- that you don't have adsense running adsense yeah, so Google ads,
1: yeah, I know what it is. Why would I run adsense
0: well, because like. I've got a client and just from hits to his YouTube channels, getting like $3,000 a month in mm. ad revenue. So just from people that go to your podcast and just, you know, when they press play, we can, you know, we'd be forced to look at a really tiny, I was just about to say a company's ad, but <laughs> let me not defame anyone, a little ad there. And um, because you, you, they're, they're able to then render that on someone's device, you get money.
1: Hmm. Yeah I suppose it's the passive income side of things That one could look at So Well
0: I mean there's a lot of The, the biggest e-tailer in this country Doesn't make profit from product sales They're, Gumtree No Take a lot I didn't say the biggest e-tailer in the country Because I Any wanted e-tailer. to say they name <laughs> Yeah Gumtree is a online marketplace Because they? they do it's that It's mm. Exactly It's yeah. ad revenue mm. And the thing is, so they, yeah, there are a Google affiliate and then they render ads. You can become a Google affiliate.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about diversifying into digital video, to be honest. Video? Mm, yeah, because I think you get for every thousand views, you get paid $10. Oh. Yeah, on YouTube, just as another vehicle.
0: But you're not even doing display ads yet.
1: No, I'm not at all. So I've, I've made it a... I made this decision like when I started not to diversify the show at all or to, in terms of the essence around it. So like I don't do PR pieces. I can, I can, you know, quite yeah. happily let contact God knows who I've met in the last year well, and a just, half.
0: Just turn on AdSense and just say, you know, we run ads to pay for the expenses to run the show, mm. you know, so you're not shoving ads down our throat. It's just kind of shit to run the show. Mm. Um, you know, to pay for your rent, yeah, to pay for the equipment, Mm. you know, your time to edit the podcasts, Mm. you know, all of that incurs a cost. Mm. So you got to cover your expenses somewhere. Start there, Mm. come out in the black. And when you start coming out in the green, then it becomes a business worth selling.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So I might actually do that. We'll see. But um, anyway, there's
0: tons of other ways you can make money.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Mm. So where were we? We've gone down a rabbit hole.
0: I think one important thing for entrepreneurs to do understand is the pricing strategy. Like pricing is never a good strategy. And what that means is don't do like sell C and make yourselves the cheapest in the market and then think that that's going to make you the best and bring you all the business. Because that's not necessarily the best strategy. You know, it'll bring you business in the in the beginning, but you get to a point where you start getting quantity and you start losing quality. And um Yeah, you don't get the best clients when you are the cheapest. Mm. And they don't really start they don't respect you as much as they do, you know, your competitors that are charging more when it is a like for like service. So I think be careful with your pricing. Don't overprice yourself though. So the price point is an interesting one for me. Um, Know what you're worth. Price yourself accordingly. Don't take less than you're worth. Yeah. Mm.
1: I like to always subscribe to the principle of uh, competing on value and not on price. Do you know what I mean? Wherever you can. But in some instances, if you're in a retail business, e-tailers, for instance, um, you know, it's it's much harder to do that because, I mean, typically you're going to find, I'm, sh- you know, I'm sure you've encountered this, you're going to have a potential buyer user on a site and they've actually got, take a lot, you know, superbolist or whatever the situation might be or Incredible Connections e-commerce site at the same time looking at the same product doing yeah. price comparisons. Yeah. So in retail, it's very much a price promotion based play, mm. Right. But to your point around services, um,
0: like, we services
1: like how do you value that? Because I mean, I've gone from every anywhere from like half a million all the way down to like hundred K. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And really like value of what? I mean, like for instance, innovation strategy, fixing your business, turning around your business, what's the value of that? Mm. You're Either not going to have a business or you're going to have a business. Mm. So you get paid, should be remunerated as such. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, pricing is, is really difficult. Um, I think though, like, and there's a lot of companies out there, like you've got to be prepared to negotiate, be negotiable on your price. So some people want to negotiate and negotiation is not a bad thing. Um, it's a very done business practice. So don't think that now that they're asking for a di- like a lower rates or a discount or whatever, that they don't value what you're doing. It's just a business practice. So, you know, build in a bit of fat there f- for negotiation um, or, you know, it's a negotiation, you know, go to the negotiation table and say, sure, we can lower the price but then I'm going to take a few services out. And a lot of the time, especially in digital, the client doesn't really know what half the services are anyway. So then they're like, okay, cool. (laughs) You know, um, you know, so you've got to be negotiable. So don't just, don't be stubborn and say, Oh no, we don't negotiate. Cause then they're like, Oh, well, then what are they going to be like engaging with them on the project level? Are they never going to negotiate, you know, if I want to change colors or if I want to, you know, change the scope halfway through, how are they going to deal with that? Are they going to be like really stubborn and difficult to deal with? So yeah, be negotiable,
1: but don't be cheap. Can we talk about startups? I'm very interested to know, mm. I didn't even know Gibbs had a, um, a fund available for startups.
0: Yeah. So it's a entrepreneurship, um, if you do the entrepreneurship elective in your second year of your MBA.
1: So it's an MBA for entrepreneurs.
0: No, so they, well, there is the entrepreneurship MBA. Okay. So there's the executive MBA, and then they, well, they don't call it the entrepreneurship MBA anymore. They call it the full time MBA and the modular MBA. So they, there's a, I don't know, they rename it. But um, yeah, if you do, if you do the entrepreneurship elective, um, which is just sort of subject, then you do a project in that subject, and then that go, the projects go for judging. And then, yeah, you know, the winner can
1: get funding. I think it's interesting that you have a faculty body actually doing the startup type, sort of. Do yes, you know what it's I mean?
0: very entrepreneurial and very pro entrepreneurship because they yeah. know that um, that's where you know the future growth of jobs is going to come from. For, you know, and that's they know that is the future for South Africa to solve unemployment in South Africa. They know that big corporates are not going to do that for us. They're just going to create a bigger problem through retrenchment while they contract in size. So, you know, so, yeah, um, entrepreneurship, small, medium and, you know, micro enterprises are, is is where the future South African growth is, you know, and they've they identified that many years back. So they've been doing this for a long time.
1: And speaking of what makes businesses work, when you take startups and you obviously you get pitched to all the time, what are kind of like the common mistakes that you see?
0: Um, I see a lot. It's a very long list. But the common thing that I can see works is passion. There's, there's a certain thing in an entrepreneur that can kind of make any business work if there's enough passion. Like it's kind of... You know, so I really do think that investors invest in the person, not the product. Um, if you, or, or service. So if you are, you know, if you're a get up and go getter and you are willing to, <laughs> this is a phrase from someone else who I won't credit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do it. <laughs> no, it's just something my brother says. He says, if you know, if you're willing to, you know, eat, two minute noodles for the next three years while you're growing your business and while sleeping on your mum's couch and you know start your business in your garage then you're going to do well your business will succeed because you have enough passion and you're willing to make enough sacrifice to make it work um you know but these these you know so you can't be a part-time entrepreneur you can't kind of start a business on the side while you've got a corporate career that doesn't work being an entrepreneur is a 24-7, 365 thing. You, never, you can go and leave, but you can never take a holiday, ever again.
1: Yeah, it's like when you go on holiday, you to feel better, you actually feel worse.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but I'm like continuously on call, you know, so you, you're at the beach, but you are on call, Um You know, and you've got to be okay with that. So a true entrepreneur is completely okay with that. A true entrepreneur doesn't need a work-life balance because, you know, their job, their business is life. Work-work balance. Yeah. Well, you kind of just like life is, you know, we spend so much of our life working that you may, it may as well just become, you just try and have a balanced day, you know, and you try and get it all done. Um, you know, you try and spend enough time with family and you try and spend enough time at work. Well, on work things, you know. And yeah, so what works with entrepreneurship is the person. Um, And then the right person, you know, if they're driven enough, they can find, or especially through Google, you can find enough information to, you know, reconcile a bank statement or how to put together a good pitch deck Or, you know, without any formal training. Yeah. Um, You know, so someone who's passionate enough will make it work. They don't need to be given everything on a silver platter. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of reasons why businesses don't work. And, um, you know, a business can have an amazing product and have lots of money and even good people working in it. But if it lacks passion then don't bother.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, I get that a lot from all the investors. They back the jockey, not the horse. Yeah. Yeah, um, and there's some interesting assessments that you, that I found actually on the internet that uh, gets or enables you to test the jockey. I've actually done one now because I've mentioned this before in the podcast. Sorry, guys. But um, <clears throat> but yeah, so uh, and in, there's an actual test, it's like a psychometric test that mm. really marries you to the kind of, funny enough, the accelerators' culture. Because um, they don't. actually
0: accelerator?
1: Uh, can't say, unfortunately. Oh. Um, I will, but I'll feed that back to you. <laughs> oh, okay. But um, but it's one of the local ones, here. Um, yeah. So I went, I did this uh, psychometric two and a half hour assessment thing. I was oh. like, shit, you know, it's a very big deal because they're really trying to judge like what's your risk appetite, like how do you approach to. Uh, how do you approach decision making like mm. how do you deal with pressure stress? do you go internal? do you express it? do you go and get pissed? Do you know what i mean so So what they're really trying to do is is identify and i guess because they've put thousands and thousands of startups through this this program um successfully I, I imagine, and I hope a lot of them
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but um but that's
0: actually why so Gibbs uses the psychometric testing for entrance
1: how oh, do they do that
0: rather than the you can write the GMAT to get in, but they they use that oh really yeah it's very interesting
1: just funny some of the questions were like um uh so if you're at your kind of end of year matric dance Mm. and you ask a girl to go to your to the dance with you and she says no then how do you respond and they give you like a list of options and then Mm. they say to you okay so why did she say no you know what I mean so they just it's like a ridiculous situation but they're asking you to kind of basically give them information that helps them understand how you perceive situations. So for instance, I mean, I don't even know what they're trying yeah, to test Yeah, like there, as an
0: entrepreneur, you're got to be totally okay with people saying no to you. Yeah, exactly. You're going to laugh that off and go to the next one. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah,
1: Move on, people.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, I mean, I've never done cold calling, but <laughs> it's like being rejected continuously. So you've yeah. got to be okay with being rejected.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. But I suppose a lot of guys aren't here
0: no and and yeah you mustn't take it personally just keep on keep on at it yeah
1: so for me to your point if entrepreneurs have to deal with rejection all the time and this goes back to our sales discussion but if they if they if you have to take rejection all the time then why would you back an entrepreneur that really takes that personally do you know what I mean
0: yeah no 100% and yeah like I mean on that and especially on your um proposal closure rate for me I always believe that there's enough good customers out there. Um, I say good customers because, you that's another thing I believe in. Like always know what business to say no to. That's a very important thing. I believe that there's enough customers out there for the products and services that you're selling. So just go find them
1: cool prudence that concludes your time in the hot seats it's been uh, great to talk to you about what makes businesses work um yeah so it's been a really great privilege and honour to get to, to have the discussion with you
0: cool thanks for inviting me it's been cool
1: so in news this week about the matt brown show and digital kung fu this week, I was published in Entrepreneur Mag uh, about my journey with the podcasts. You can check out the post on their website. It's entitled Five Answers from Digital Kung Fu on Why Podcasts Are Your Best Self Development Tool. But really, it's around sharing insights and lessons that I've learned in the process of building the Matt Brown show as a global media platform. And off the back of that, I have put together a talk which I'm giving. It's called The Big Red Button Keynote and Lessons from Billionaires, Entrepreneurs and CEOs. And it's designed to give you a new understanding of what makes billionaires, CEOs and entrepreneurs succeed, why others fail and how to make the stuff that you think. Um, I've been called... For some reason, South Africa's answer to Tim Ferriss. I've had people write in to me telling me how much the show has changed their world in the way that they approach life and how the show is just being followed religiously. But the bottom line here is that I really feel it's time that I share what I've learned in the process of speaking to the who's who of business in South Africa and just the guys are really shaking up the business world. Um, so if you go to my blog, it's blog.digitalkungfu.co.za. You'll find the post there called The Big Red Button. And you can find the full details of the talk. Um, and please, please, please get on board and help me share this message. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Matt Show. It's been an absolute privilege having you with us. And remember, if you'd like more information on digital kung fu or our guests and the full show notes. All you have to do is head on over to digitalkungfu.co.za and you can catch us all over the social media graph. So, till next time,